I'll be excited. Moms and dads, turn to the text in John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. And I've got a really, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be there right away. It'll give you time to find it. Okay, so there you go. John chapter 10, verse 10. A few years ago, I can't remember how long ago, but a few years ago, Pat and I went to a, a, a thriving metropolis in Baystown, Kentucky. Has anyone ever heard of Baystown, Kentucky? I didn't think so. Oh, you have. Because I told you about it. Okay. Baystown, Kentucky. They had, they had a couple of cemeteries there, and uh, they were very different from most cemeteries. They were very old. They were uncared for. They were not manicured. They were not even mown. And so there was something else. They had, it was a little disconcerting to me, they had an incredible number of vases in, in, that, in those uh, cemeteries. Uh, and, um, and we wandered through, and we took pictures Back in those days, folks, I know some, hey, young people, young Navy guys, you won't believe this, but back in those days, you didn't take pictures with your phone. You had a little square box, it was called a camera, and, and, you, and you would focus, and you would, it would push a button, and it would take a picture, and then you would take film, you don't have any idea what that is, and you would take it in to the drugstore or to Costco or somewhere like that, and they would develop it, and then you have pictures that you can actually look at later on, which I couldn't find any of for this particular sermon today. But at any rate, we took pictures, and some of the, uh, some of the, the dates on the headstones were like from the 1800s, some of them maybe even a little bit earlier than that. And I got to wondering about life in Kentucky in the early 1800s. Uh, specifically because there's a, a kind of a, a legend about where the bases came from, which I'll not bore you with right now. But I got to thinking about the 1800s with uh, the Native Americans. Back then, they were Indians, but now they're Native Americans. And there were no utilities and the wild animals and the heat and the cold. And I wondered if these people in the 1800s had the same stresses that you and I have today. Um. And I was tempted to say, no, they don't have the same stress as we have. And until I was reading uh, about Hugh Glass, Hugh Glass was a sailor, so you guys can identify with that, who was captured by uh, Jean Lafitte, who was a pirate, who gave him the option of a bullet in the skull or become a pirate, and he chose to become a pirate. And uh, then after that, uh, he escaped and was captured by the Spaniards in North America, and they were going to go ahead and execute him because they assumed he was a pirate, and he had been. And he got away from them, and he got caught by the Pawnees who were going to cook him alive, absolutely burn him alive uh, on a, on a um, uh, a mistake, uh, and he he <laughs> was incredibly delivered from that. He found out that his parents and fiance had all died from a fever, probably yellow fever or something like that. And then he was mauled by a grizzly bear and left for dead. So I thought, no, they don't have the same stresses we have today. Uh, theirs seem incredibly worse than what ours do today. You know, our stresses are. Oh, what's the matter with my computer? I can't get it to turn on. What's going on here? My Facebook is so slow. What's the problem here? The stresses we have plus our hearts. But there was something else that we all have in common with the bases who lived back in the 1800s with every person who lives on the globe today. And, 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 and that is this. On the tombstones, there was generally a date of their birth and a date of their death. And in between was what? The dash. You've heard this, haven't you? You've heard this. All right, listen. 
I read of a reverend who stood to speak at the funeral of his friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of his birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that he spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him or her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the houses, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left. You could be at dash mid-range. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved them before, if we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while, so when your eulogy is being read with all your life's actions to rehash, would you be pleased with the things they hear about what, how you spent your dash? So each person's life really comes down to what transpires between the day of our birth and the day of our passing. What are your passions and dreams today? What things really float your boat and get your blood going today? What are the biggest mistakes that you've made? What are the biggest uh, regrets that you have? We can't control when we were born. We can't even control when we pass away. But we can control what we do with right now. You're going to be studying the book of James, and one of my favorite passages there is we, it, there's the talk of the businessman. Tomorrow, today, we'll go to the city. We'll spend a year. We'll carry on business, and we'll make money. And the James writes, you don't even know what a day is going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. How can you know what's going to happen uh, five years from now, ten years from now? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And he said, what you ought to say instead of here's what I'm going to do is if it's the Lord's will, I'll do this or that. If it's the Lord's will. There's a thing we used to do, uh, DV, uh, which is using the Latin God willing. God willing, this is what our plans are. So what if you had one month to live? How would you live that life? Uh, I've, I've known people. I, I, I know a very dear friend who's been given just a, a few weeks right now. Uh, actually, she's into about the second or so week of that, just a few weeks left. And how would you live your life? What would you do differently? Uh, Jesus knew he had a short time to live. He tried telling his disciples. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. They didn't, they didn't grasp it for some reason. But he managed to live precious principles in the last few days. He lived passionately. He loved completely. And he left boldly. And that's what I want to talk to you about. First one of those today is living passionately. In John 10.10, 10, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And it means literally over and above, more than enough, exceeding certain amount, superfluous, that you can have a superfluous life. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you are living a superfluous life? How many of you are just living such an abundant life? <clears throat> what would your thoughts be? Would your thoughts be, well, I don't have a lot of money? Because that has nothing to do with living an abundant life. Well, I, I don't have, I, I'm not very famous. has nothing to do with living an abundant life. Um, it has to do with your relationship with God and how content and satisfied you are in, in living the life that he's given to you. Jesus lived passion. So let's talk about what is passion. First of all, passion is a strong, barely controllable emotion. 
You've seen, I've seen musicians who weep because of the message and song. Soldiers, you've known of soldiers who fight, even though mortally wounded perhaps, will continue to fight. Uh, Sergeant Peralta uh, was one example, Duncan, <clears throat> who uh, uh, wounded, and yet he, he pushed himself, forced himself on a grenade to spare his fellow soldiers. Um, capitalists and communists engage in commerce. Politicians politic. Uh, preachers preach, actors immerse themselves in character, lovers love. <clears throat> That's what, it's a strong emotion that bubbles up from the innermost parts of your heart. It's passion, an outburst of emotion. It, it's kind of emotion boiling over. It causes people to do unusual things. I, I, I guess I won't forget ever the story of, of, of a lady whose young children, they, they were in a tornado in the house, and the house was literally coming apart. And she managed to grab both of her young children and hang on to them in the midst of that storm, not even realizing that she had lost both legs in the process uh, of doing all of that. Her emotion was so strong. Her love for her children was incredible. Intense love. The missionaries to the Aka Indians years ago who went down there and landed on that sandbar trying to take the gospel to the Aka Indians. <clears throat> Instead, the Aka Indians began shooting arrows at them and mortally wounding them. Do you know that those missionaries had a gun? They had a gun, and they didn't use it on purpose because they were there to love these people. Intense love. The widows went on to serve those very same tribes and the very same people who put their husbands to death were people they learned to love and to lead to Jesus Christ later on. Intense love, that's passion. Intense desire or enthusiasm for something, that's passion. For An intense desire for God. We, we have all these intense desires for sports. We have intense desires for all kinds of things. But what about for God? What about, does that get a hold of us? Uh, does it really cause you to, to boil over with enthusiasm, which is from the French, which is from the Latin, which, uh, which is from the Greek, which means possessed by a God, literally. That's what enthusiasm means, possessed by a God. How about being possessed by the God? Not a God, but the God. God created us to live passionately. I guess it disturbs me that so many Christians seem to not be very passionate about God. We can get excited about everything else. We can get excited about a vacation, excited about a new car, excited about a promotion, excited about, but when it comes to God and our relationship with God, we're just kind of apathetic or maybe at the most just very reserved. God wants us to live passionately. What about the dash? You've got an opportunity today to serve God. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised tonight. How will you live for God today? Jesus, secondly, was passion personified. He was passion personified. In fact, a secondary meaning, an alternate meaning of passion, speaks of the suffering and the death of Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his, what? Passion. Passion week. The movie that came out several years ago by Mel Gibson, Passion of Christ, that, that, 
that laying down of his life, that enduring the rejection, the, the crucifixion, the beating before the crucifixion, in doing all that, that's the passion of Christ. Why? Because he so loved the world that he gave himself. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Passion describes the life of Christ. He was passionate about being in God's house, so much so that when he was the age of some of these kids that were standing up here, they came to, to Jerusalem for a feast day, and when they went back home, they were three days' journey away. They figured out Jesus wasn't with any of the family members, and they returned uh, to Jerusalem try, frantic. Can you imagine, moms? Can you imagine, Dad, losing your child, and, and, and it was in a, a relatively big city, and you don't know where that child is? And they went back, and finally they found him, and he was reasoning with the doctors, the lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees, reasoning with them as a 12-year-old young man. He was passionate about God's house, even as a young man. He said, how is it that you sought me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Are we about our father's business? Are we about our father's business? You're a pilot, but you're a Christian. You do the you do the flying for, for, uh, I, well the, that's the point I'm trying to make. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, and, and and thank you, Fitz, for that because you're a Christian first and then a pilot. Uh, yeah, you blew that illustration. So I'll just uh, I'll move on. <laughs> no, that's good. That's exactly the point I want to make. Whatever we do for a living to keep body and soul together should be secondary to the fact that we are born again children of Almighty God. Uh, so so that he was passionate about making sure that the house of God was clean. And the money changers were there. The crooks were there. They were, and and you got to know something about what was going on. It wasn't, uh, I, I know some people are, if you have a missionary come in and uh, they have a, a you know display. Some people say, "Oh, you shouldn't have that in the house of God." It's, you know, that's that's not the same thing. What they were doing is people would travel from a long distance, and they because they came from a long distance, they wouldn't have the required sacrifice, the, the lamb or or the bull or the, or whatever it is they were going to sacrifice, depending on what they could afford. Uh, and so they would they would go to the money changers, and they would sell doves, and they would sell sheep, and they would sell goats, and they would sell bulls. And a lot of times they would mark them up, and sometimes they were not even um, scripturally uh, qualified because they had some kind of a problem with them, a disease, or they were imperfect in some way. Or they would sell that same animal to a whole bunch of different people, say, we'll offer it for you. Uh, don't worry about it. Here's the price. Here's... And so there was all kind of corruption, all kinds of corruption. And Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves. My house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He was passionate about that. He actually took a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple. He was passionate about his friends. He, he, he stood at the grave of Lazarus, and in the English Bible, the shortest verse is in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 35. Two words, Jesus wept. Stood at the grave of his friend, and he openly wept because he was passionate about his friends. Do you care? Do you tell them about Christ? Do they even know you're a Christian? Do they, if, if they know you're a Christian, do they feel like you're on fire? Or do they feel like you're, you're just kind of a nominal Christian, a Christian in name only? 
He was passionate about his friends. He was passionate about his mission. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone them who are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. He looked over that city, that city, that ancient city that he loved so very much, and wept for his fellow countrymen. He was passionate about keeping the spirit of the law as well as the letter. The spirit of the law as well as the, he said, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, I'll not read all of that, but it's, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Then he says, but if you look on a woman to commit adultery, with, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And later on, he says, you shall not kill. But I say unto you, if you hate your brother, then you're a murderer already. And then he said, uh, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and that's under the law. But I say unto you, resist not evil. If they strike you on the cheek, turn to the other one to, the other one to them too. If they take your coat, give them your cloak also. If a Roman soldier compels you to carry his pack for a mile, which is what they could do, uh, under that occupied uh, Israel with, with Roman power. If they compel you to carry that pack for a mile, carry it two miles. Go above and beyond. He said again, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that. You love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. It's, it's not hard to love your friends. It's harder to love those who persecute you and hate you. But we're supposed to do that. So he was passionate about the spirit of the law as well as the letter of the law. He was passionate about doing the Father's will. In Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7, he lays out a whole new way of living for God's people called kingdom principles, how we probably will live in the kingdom of God one of these days. But... That's one of these days. What about now? How then should we live? Francis Schaeffer used that title for a series back in the 70s. How then should we live? How are you living? Are you living passionately? Do you reflect the passion, emotion, and involvement and total enthusiasm of Jesus Christ? Are we we fervent? Are we intense? Are we devotional? Are we emotional? Are we committed? Because one of these days... Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, will be reality. Where I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead who were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And listen to this. They were judged, every man, every person, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a good reason to be passionate about what we believe. It's a good reason to get concerned about family and friends who are going to stand before God one day, lost and on their way to the lake of fire. Oh, for the Christian, it's a matter of loss of rewards because we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, and everyone will see the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. And these judgments are forever. So what should we do? We should do like those guys who took their friend and went to see Jesus 
and, and the place was full. We've got some friends here. Uh, I said, did you, did you have to park in Imperial Beach in order to make it here today? I said, no, we're only about, you know, five blocks away. So that's, that's not bad. Well, when this, these four guys got their friend who was afflicted, physically sick, to Jesus, you know what? They, did, they couldn't get in because of the people. It was full. It was full and running over. No parking lot there either at that church. None. So they, they turned around and went home. Is that what they did? No. They climbed up on the roof. Hey, you know what? If this is what it takes, get up there. Take a chainsaw, cut a hole in the roof. If that's the way you need to come to Jesus, go ahead and do it. We'll patch it up. We got lots of holes up there anyhow, so it's no problem. They did something drastic. I mean, I don't know whose house they were in, to tell you the truth, but, but I'm sure whoever's house it was, they were saying, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? ripping on my roof. And they lowered the palsied man down at the feet of Jesus. They brought their friend to Christ. And, and folks, you're not going to bring your friends to Christ if you don't invite them. You're not going to bring your friends to Christ if they don't think that Christ has made a difference in your life. You're not going to win people to the Lord if they think you aren't serious about what you say you believe. There's a big, not a big, but there's some discussion about whether being a fan is a good thing or a bad thing. Because some people say, well, a fan, you know, the fans sit in the stands while people run around on the court or run around in, in the field, you know, exercising, doing all the stuff that they're doing. The fans just sit there and eat popcorn and drink Cokes. But you know what? The word fan comes from fanatic. I don't know about you, but I think these four guys that carried their buddy to Christ were fanatics. They weren't going to take no for an answer. They were, they were, going, to, they were going to do something drastic. They were going to remove the obstacles that was between them and the Lord. They were, they were going to expect the unexpected. And when they lowered Jesus, what, what were they thinking? They lowered their friend down at the feet of Jesus. And, and Jesus said, when he saw their faith, he said, take up your bed and walk. No. He said, your sins are forgiven you. What? Who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? It's exactly what the religious crowd thought. Who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? I mean, that's just not right. But he said then, so that you know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, he then turned to the fellow with the palsy. He said, arise, take up your bed, and go into your house. And immediately he rose up, took up the the bed, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and glorified God. and And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. We need to be passionate. We need to be concerned. We need to invite people. We need to talk to people about the Lord. We need to, you say, well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm going to offend them. You know what? better to offend them, take the chance of offending them, than letting them run right into hell one day without knowing any better. Create space for God in your life and in their life. Remember what great things God has done. He went away glorifying God, the man who was healed from the palsy. So how are you, folks? How are you with your Christianity? How are you with your faith? How are you with your passion for Christ? Are you apathetic? Are we sometimes engaged and other times not so much? Or are we passionate? Okay, you may not like this. 
How many of you like country music? The rest of you need to get your heart right with God. <clears throat> there was a song not too long ago, Tim McGraw sang. He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I spent three times that year I lost my dad. I went three times that year I lost my dad. I finally read the good book, and I took a long, good, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. We ought to live as if we're dying. Because we are. I got this crazy program on my computer. And it tells me, um, I could click it any time. And I don't know why I even go to this place. It's scary. It tells me how many heartbeats I've had calculated on my age. And, and it was like 2 billion, 500 and some million and whatever else. And I'm going like, oh, my goodness. And I've lived like, I can't remember, it's 40-some thousand days. I'm going like, holy cow. It's, but you know what? We may not have the rest of the day. Christianity, trusting Christ, is either something to be passionate about or it's not of any value at all. We either ought to really believe it and love it and live it, or we ought to go to something else. Folks, we have the enemy, the thief that comes in to destroy and to steal and to kill who will blow themselves up in the name of their God. And I'm not advocating that, by the way. We should not do that. That's not the way our God operates. But I'm saying you can't very well question some of their devotion and passion to their cause. And sometimes Christians are put to shame. I don't know about you guys, but I see Jehovah's Witnesses out at the corner of Dennery and Palm Avenue. I think it's seven days a week. I think I see them all the time. I see them down by the trolley stop in Imperial Beach all the time. They're there. They're passionate about what they believe. What they believe is wrong, but they're passionate about it. Would to God. We would be passionate. I get to teach boys and girls the Word of God. I get to put into their life, maybe plant that seed, maybe water that seed, maybe cultivate the ground, and then they come to Christ, and I got to be part of that. I get to tell my people, my friends at work, my coworkers, I get to share Christ with my neighbors. I get to let my friends know on the racquetball court, on the golf course, wherever I have I get to let people know that God loves them. And when they go through their crises and everyone goes through crises, I can be there to let them know God cares and God can do something about it if we are passionate about our faith.
I'm going to ask you to bow your head, please. As you bow your head, how do you rate your passion for Christ? It, if it were a thermometer, is it, is it like 50 degrees, 40 degrees? Is it freezing? How's your passion? Because it needs to be red hot, folks. Time is short. Christ is coming back. And if he doesn't come back pretty soon, we will go, we will leave this life and stand before him and either walk with him through the gates of pearl into a place called heaven or be separated from him forever. That's how serious it is forever and ever. If you're here this morning and you would like to receive Christ as your Savior right where you're seated, if that's your heart's desire, you know you're sinful, you know you've got sins in your life, you know you can't get to heaven on your own merit, but you want to receive Christ as your Savior, realizing that He is the Son of God and He died for your sins, then I want you to pray right now to the God. I want you to pray right now and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die one of these days, maybe sooner than later. And I fully believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And this morning, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my God and my Savior. Take all my sins away from me. I want to trust you completely for everlasting life. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, you meant it as serious and sincere as you know how to be. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer right now. I won't embarrass you. Just raise your hand up and hold it up real high for just a moment. Hold it up real high. I won't embarrass you. I promise. Our Father, we're so thankful. For Jesus Christ who loved us that much. And I'm thankful for those who've trusted Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be passionate about our faith in you. Help us to make a difference in Coronado, a difference in our general area, a difference in the world through our missionaries. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.